you have a copy of the Scriptures, open up to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, as you're turning there, I've got to share two miracles with you. Um, one, both are actually pretty exciting when you think about it. So last Sunday, we had our party in the parking lot to kind of kick off summer, which was fantastic and super fun. Uh, but just reflecting on that, I noticed uh, later that week that we actually worshiped together as a church last Sunday from nine different communities around Columbus and from five nations, and we worshiped in two different languages as a church community in Powell, Ohio, of all places. And so that is just, uh, it's a, just a testament to what God is doing in our midst. And here's the second miracle, and I'll be honest with you, it's probably a greater miracle. Um, I went running last night. I'm serious. I got home from a speaking, like I spoke at a youth retreat yesterday, and I was driving home, and I had eaten Taco Bell for lunch, and I didn't feel very good about myself. And I got home, and I said, I said, Liz, I'm going to go better myself. And she's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm going to go run a mile. And she started laughing, and she's like, yeah, right. And I put on my running shoes and my music, and I went, and I ran one mile. And I'll be so honest with you today. You know, like that scene in Bambi, shortly after Bambi's born, where like the legs of the deer, I feel that in like the depths of my soul today. Walking is really hard right now, and so, gosh, pray for me. That had nothing to do with Romans 2, but if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, Romans chapter 2, as we continue this series, The Genius of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 12 and read down through verse 16, and God's Word says this through Paul, that all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law, for the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when the Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are the law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Verse 15 they show the work of the law is written on their hearts. And they're, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you this up front too. I can't say this word well, and I have to say it like a hundred times today. So if you see me like pausing to say the word conscience, it's because I really have to think about it. Like I don't, you're probably thinking like I took NyQuil or something this morning. This is just totally me today. But uh, they show the work of the law is written on their hearts and their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. On the day when God judges what people have kept in secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we pray each week, God, would you give us open ears to hear from the throne of heaven today through the scriptures? God, would you give us soft hearts not to hear, but not just to hear, but to receive? And God, would you give us obedient hands and feet to walk with Jesus in the truth that we discover in your scripture today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll never forget my first speeding ticket. Judge me, because um, I've we've background checked most of you in this church when you serve, and I know I'm not the only one that has had <laughs> multiple speeding tickets. I remember being 16 years old. I was cruising from Pickerington, Ohio, down to Lancaster, Ohio. I believe I was going to church that night. And I was just outside of Baltimore, Ohio. The sun was starting to set. I was on a back road, and I saw that speed limit sign on that road that I'd driven 100 times. It was posted 55 miles per hour. But I had somewhere to be, and I didn't really care in that moment. And so rather than going 55, I decided, you know what, I'm going to drive 70 miles per hour. 
P.S., this is a side note. This is the reason, part of the reasons that we don't have church bumper stickers and that we don't own a church van, and we probably never will. Part of it's because of me, and the other part is, again, we've background checked a lot of you that volunteer, and you will never drive church vans with living hope on the side of them, all right? But I was driving 70 miles an hour, and I, I can remember the moment where I saw those flashing lights come from behind a pine tree right there just outside of Baltimore, and about 20 minutes later, I drove away with a ticket in hand. A couple weeks later, I had to stand before a judge. Many of you have done this before, some more than most. I won't say your name today, but you had to stand before a judge, and you, you pay a fine, and this is so simple. You pay a fine for what? For breaking the law. Because there's a standard in place that's posted that you are completely aware of, and if you don't obey the standard by all rules of the government, you are then considered guilty. Now think about this too. I made this observation this week. In my neighborhood, I live just a few minutes from here on that direction. I noticed, and I hadn't thought about this before, I've never seen a speed limit sign in my neighborhood. I've looked before, and I've never seen one actually posted in my neighborhood. But you know one thing I know, although there's not a speed limit sign posted? I have to drive 25 miles per hour in my neighborhood. And if I don't drive, and I, I always have, please don't worry, don't worry about the children. I've always driven 25 miles an hour in my neighborhood. But even though there's not a sign posted anywhere from the entrance of my neighborhood getting back to my house, there is not a speed limit sign posted on that route. Even though there's not a sign, if I choose to drive 70 miles per hour in my neighborhood and I get pulled over by the cops and I say this to the cops, well, I just didn't know. What's he going to say to me? You're a goon. You see, there's something inherently inside of us that even if we don't technically really know because it's not posted or written somewhere for us to see it, we just know that in a neighborhood where there's children, what are you supposed to do? Drive slow. There's just some things that even if they're not posted that we have an understanding of. And if I disobey that, what happens? I'm still considered guilty. And that's going to serve as a little bit of a bumper or buffer for us this morning. And I, I realize sometimes illustrations fall a little short, but I, I hope that kind of helps us see a little bit what's going on here in Romans chapter 2. All right, we've been in this series in Romans. This is our, our 10th week. We're averaging five verses a week right now in this series. But I want to review a little bit where we've been so far because I think that's helpful because there's been a lot that's gone on in just these first two chapters. Romans chapter 1 was all about, if you're a note taker, the depravity of the Gentiles who, by their sinful nature, Paul says they completely rejected God, turned their back on him, although God revealed himself through his creation, Romans 1.20. You can't go outside and look at God's creation and say, you know what, there is not a creator God. We said two things about that several weeks ago, knowing that God speaks through his creation. Um, first off is this, is that our God wants to be known, right? Their God is not hidden, we call that the general revelation of God. That was the second thing, that, that God can be known through his creation. He's not hiding for, uh, from us, but because of his creative handiwork, our God wants to be known, and he's not hidden himself from us. Yet the Gentiles, that Scott preached a few weeks ago, Romans 125, rejected that. And this is so important because we're seeing this play out in our culture, friends. Romans 1 before our eyes. When you reject the general revelation of God, your life completely and wholly becomes about self-gratification and self-pleasure. Because you turn the attention away from what you were created to do, and that's give glory to the Creator, 
When you reject that, you turn that focus back on yourself and your carnal human nature. And your carnal human nature craves one thing and one thing over, self-gratification and self-pleasure. And we see that playing out in Romans chapter 1. We saw in Romans 1.26 that the, the Gentiles were degrading their bodies. Does any of this sound familiar to us? Giving themselves over to all kinds of sexual sins. And then what's the result? Paul said at the end of Romans 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. That because we've turned our backs on God, judgment awaits us. That was the Gentiles. That was people like you and me. Then in chapter 2, he transitions to this other group of people, the, the Jews who were reading this letter, who thought, you know what? We're not like the Gentiles. We're Jews, cultural heritage. We're better than those people. God has given us his written law, the law of Moses. Therefore, we are morally superior to those Gentile sinners. We ever do that too? Those people that do those things, those horrible, horrible people. And what does Paul do? He takes the lens, he takes that light, and he shines it right back on the Jews. And he says, hey, just so you know, you're just as bad as they are. Your sin may look a little bit different, but you're just as bad as the Gentiles. So while the Gentiles were disobeying the God they saw in creation, Paul says the Jews, they disobey the God that they know through the law that was given to them. What's the reality? I've got good news for you. You ready for this? Lean into this. This is going to be the best thing you hear all day. You are a sinner and God will judge you. Yay. I mean, it's terrible news, isn't it? Like, Aaron, we should have come to church today. We could have watched online and turned you off by now. Paul told us, Romans 2, verse 11, a couple weeks ago, whether Jew or Gentile, you're guilty, and you're a sinner, and you've rejected God, and He will judge you. But what do we say? That's apart from Jesus. The good news of the gospel that we proclaim, that we have to know we're sinners, but Jesus is the answer. And now in verses 12 through 16 of this chapter, Paul kind of presses into what we saw in the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 2, and he answers the question, by what standard will we be judged by God? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Today's message might not be very applicable to your life, right? Uh, understanding the, the law of the human conscience, you're going to be like, I, who cares? But it will shape your theology, and it'll shape how you view God. And how you view God, watch this, actually shapes how you live your life, because your worldview shapes how you live. And so sometimes we need to approach the Scriptures and we say, you know what? This may not be something I can put in practice this afternoon, but this will shape the theology and how I view God, how I understand sin, and how I understand the gospel. And I promise you, 100% of the time, that shapes how you live. So two points today. You can write these down if you're a note taker. Plug them into your phone. Starting in verse 12, it's a summation of everything we've read so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Paul's just bringing clarity to judgment. Here's point number one. It's that our sin condemns us. Our sin condemns us. Look at verse 12. Paul says that all who sin without the law, you will perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So one verse, two characters in this, the main characters of chapter 1 and chapter 2 are the groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. That's who Paul's writing to in Rome. So the first part, who, what's this group Paul's talking to? Look there in your verse, underline it, circle it if you have a hard copy. Paul says it's those who sin without the law. Those who sin apart from the law, that would be the Gentiles, because the Gentiles did not, as we said a moment ago, have the written law of Moses in their possession, that written standard. 
In fact, we said this a moment ago, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, what they did have was the general revelation of God. They knew, Gentiles, based on creation, that there was a God. I've thought about that this week. Uh, in our backyard, we started to grow in a garden, and there's bunnies, and there's trees, and it's just like kind of this like peaceful oasis. And you just sit back there sometimes, and you just enjoy what's around you. And it's the simple reminder when you pause and reflect away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life and always trying to move forward in everything we do, that we serve a very creative God who wants to be known through His creation. And Paul says this about the Gentiles. He said, they didn't have the written law of Moses, but they did have God in creation. They could see Him. And Paul says, even though they didn't have a written standard by which they knew how God functioned and operated, this is heavy, just lean into this for a second. He said, they will still perish, although they didn't have this over here. Why? You ever heard that question before? People ask this, what about the gentleman in Africa who lives in this remote tribe that nobody's ever been to before? He doesn't have God's Word And you're here to tell me today, Aaron, that that gentleman will still perish? That although he he doesn't have the written standard of God and God's expectations of his people, that that gentleman would still perish? Yeah. And that's a heavy truth for us to understand. And some of you, that's going to frustrate you, make you mad. And you might even send Joe an angry email this week. Right? We don't like that. Because how how could our God judge that individual that doesn't have the, the written standard? I mean, they're ignorant of what God requires of us, right? So how could God judge them? Jump down to verse 14. This answers that question. Paul says this. He says, so when the Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are the law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. This is if you're a note taker, I'd write this down or plug this away in the back of your brain. This is, this is theology that we all need to understand. This is what's known in the scriptures of, as the law of the conscience. The law of the conscience. What's Paul say? He says there's Gentiles in Rome who have never seen the scriptures, they never read the scriptures, yet they still had an inclination of right and wrong. Did you know your conscience is a gift from God? Your conscience is a gift from God because God in His kindness, Paul says in Romans 1, has written the moral law of God on your heart. That if you are a living, breathing human being, that God in His kindness wrote His moral law on your heart and on your mind. Here's the point. Every human being internally knows good from evil. What you do with it is up to you. You can sear it away or you can choose to obey it. Every human being knows right from wrong. You can choose to obey it, or you can choose to ignore it. Every human being knows morality from immorality. You can choose to obey it, or you can choose to ignore it. At the most basic level, Paul says, we understand these things because God has written them on our hearts. I love what John Calvin said about this. I don't use a lot of quotes from guys, but I thought this was good. It says that he, Paul, shows that ignorance is the vain pretended excuse by the Gentiles. Ignorance is not the answer. Paul says they prove by their own deeds that they have some rule of righteousness. Human beings have the inclination and ability to do good. Why? 
It's because of the moral law written on our conscience. But what do we do? Not good. We choose to disobey God. Therefore, we are guilty before Him. Does that make sense to us? You see, we've allowed ourselves, me too, y'all, we've allowed ourselves to just somehow think that all people are generally good, even the gentleman over in the other country that's never heard of this stuff. He's just a generally good person. No, he's not. We are evil. Paul tells us in Romans that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are not generally good. We are evil, sinful beings who stand before a holy God condemned in our sin. Look at verse 15. Paul says they show the work of the, that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. And their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. Again, he's echoing this again. We have a moral sensitivity in our hearts that matches what God's law requires. That's our, our conscience. And when we violate that, Paul says you're a sinner and you're guilty before God. Hear this, and, and I, I say this from a position of just aching heart. That means even those who have never opened a Bible are guilty if they've disobeyed the conscience that God has given them. It means that they are a sinner. And we violated the moral conscience that God has placed on us. Do y'all, I, I want that not to make you mad because I know that does. I've taught on this at other churches before. We've had people leave churches because we say this kind of stuff. That's what the Bible teaches, by the way. That shouldn't make you mad. It should make gospel proclamation that much more important to you. Do we see that? If hearing that people are guilty in their sin just makes you mad, and you think to yourself, Aaron, you're wrong. How dare you? You are a mean, mean person. That's a false theology that you've chosen to ascribe to called universalism that just believes everybody's going to be okay in the end, and that's not true. We have to understand that everyone is a sinner. Everyone is guilty, and we need Jesus. And how will they go, or how will they know, unless someone tells them? Let me show you an extra verse. This is a freebie today. It's not going to be on the screen. I love this. In Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Let me show you this real fast. Paul says that this grace was given to me. So Paul understood the gospel, the least of the saints. Here's what he was told to do because he was a Jesus follower like many of you claim to be today. Many of us claim to be today. He says, this was the grace given to me. Here's what I'm supposed to do. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Why? Because they don't know about it. They, they, somebody has to tell them about Jesus. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery that is hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. This is so that, this is so important, that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known. Through who? Through the church. That God has established this organization and this family entrusted with the gift of the gospel to take it to those who have never heard about Jesus. They are condemned in their sin, and if we don't go and tell them, who will? It's our job. There's no plan B. We're plan A. God entrusted it to us. So don't let the reality that people stand condemned in their sin make you mad. Let it break your heart for the salvation of souls and share Jesus with people. That's where this theology should take you. That's the application. You're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I got that off my chest. All right, we're good. We're good. Let's look at the Jews. Let's look at the Jews. Verse 12. Paul says, all who sin without the law will perish without the law. That was Gentiles. 
And all who sin under under the law will be judged by the law. That's the Jews there. They'd been given God's written standard, the first five books of our Bible, the, the Torah. And despite being given that standard, what was the outcome? Paul goes on to tell us in this chapter, the Jews couldn't keep it. God laid it out for them. Here's what I require of you. Here's what a righteous life looks like. And the Jews couldn't keep the standard. Now check this out in verse 13, this mindset whoop, excuse me, that they developed in verse 13. Verse 13 of chapter 2. So for hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but doers of the law will be justified. You see, the Jews we saw in chapter 2 had convinced themselves of this is, on our side of this, this seems so weird. They'd convinced themselves that because they'd been given God's written law, that somehow they were morally superior to everybody else. That they had been given God's written law, that they were morally superior than every other nation and all of the Gentiles on the earth. God had given us his book, therefore, we are the chosen ones, and we are morally right. Think about it this way. You guys know I have two daughters, 10 and 5. Imagine for one second that I, I uh, told Sophia, my oldest daughter, 10 years old, to go back and to clean her room when we get home. We have to say that literally almost every day at our house. It's, it drives me crazy. But Sophia, you need to go clean your room. She goes off, and she's gone for like 20 minutes, and she comes back. And this is a true story. This kind of stuff happens too. She comes back, and I'm like, baby, have you, have you cleaned your room? I told you to go clean it. Have you cleaned it? Well, Dad, you know, I thought about it. I mean, I really, I'm thankful that you told me that, to, that I should do that. And so I thought about it. Um, I really studied what you said, too. I thought about what it would look like if I did clean my room and how I would arrange things and how that would make you happy if I really did it. You know, Dad, I really spent the past 20 minutes just considering everything that you've said. And I really appreciate that you loved me enough to tell me to clean my room. I'd hit her. (laughs) You know? That's just flat dumb, isn't it? Yet that was the mindset. God, yeah, thank you for your law. Lord, we've considered it, and we studied it, and we love that you gave it to us. And honestly, because we have it, we're so much better than everybody else. I mean, when you frame it up that way, you think to yourself, as Paul is writing this, that he probably wrote it in all caps with like, and then highlighted it before he sent the letter. He's thinking to himself, what is wrong with you people? But notice this too, the mindset was not only we are in possession of the law, we are so much better than everybody else, but notice what Paul says in the second part. Not only do you have to um, have the law, but you've got to do something with it, not partial. You have to keep the entire thing. Because if you want to be right before God, Paul told the Jews, like, you've got to keep the whole law. I mean, again, let's just, if you're a parent, this stuff is, this is going to echo with you. You're going to punish your kids on the drive home. You know, Sophia, go clean your room. All right, Dad, what do I need to do? This is what we have to do in our house. All right, you need to make your bed. You need to pick up your clothes. You need to take the dog toys out. Clean off your dresser and stop being a hoarder. All right, you've got so much junk. And so she comes back. I think this happened this week. She comes back 20 minutes later. Sophia, did you clean your room? Well, Dad, I know that I made my bed. And I cleaned up my dresser. Okay, did you clean up the dog toys? And um, did you clean up your, did you do everything else? No, I, I did, but I did these things. So, so like, I'm good, right? No. That's the issue here. 
The Jews are still in this mindset of we've got the law, we're good. We've done some of the law, we're good. Paul says, if you can't do all of it, you're not good. You are a sinner just like the Gentiles. Here's another quote for you. People are condemned not because they have the law or don't have the law. Why are we condemned? Because we've sinned and we're hopeless. And what's the solution? Point two, it's always Jesus. No matter what page of the Bible that we go to, when you find hopelessness and helplessness, you know what the answer always is? It's always Jesus. It's why we proclaim the immeasurable riches of His glory every Sunday here. Let's not get bogged down with the helpless state of our world and everything around us. Why? Because we are the children of God and we have hope in Jesus. We know the solution to hardship. We know the solution to judgment. The solution is Jesus. Man, that's good news. If I could run today, I would, but my legs still hurt. All right? Look at verse 16. Paul says, On the day that God judges what people have kept secret, according to what? My gospel. Through who? Christ Jesus. Because Paul's gospel includes judgment, and ours does too. God judges sinners. But part of the gospel of Jesus is that our God didn't leave us as sinners. I love that. Every other religion leaves you in your sinful state and expects you to somehow get to their God. Do you know what Christianity does? Christianity helps us understand our sinful state, and then our God comes down to get us, to bring us to where He is. It's what makes us so much better and the only true religion. Because our God came after you and He came after me. Romans 5, 6, a couple more verses. Paul says, while we were still helpless, that sure sounds like Romans 1 and 2 to me. You're sinners and you're undergoing judgment. What happened? At the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. We're sinners, yes, but we serve a Savior that came after us on a rescue mission for His people. Now watch this, Romans 5.1, that Jesus comes after us. He dies in our place, pays that sin debt that we owe to a holy and righteous God who we could never appease on our own. And our sin debt can be discharged. We replace. We get the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. Romans 5.1, since we've been justified by faith. Watch this. We have peace with God again. It means when you stand before judgment, you will not be judged and cast into, into an eternity apart from God. Why? Because Jesus stood in your place. Romans 3.26, God presented him, that's Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness as the present time so that he would be just and justify. That's you and that's me. The one who has faith in who? Jesus. It's always Jesus. You can be declared right by Jesus. Yes, judgment awaits us because we're a sinner, Jew and Gentile alike. But what is the solution? It is Jesus. Friends, my final plea is this as the praise team comes. Make sure this side of heaven that you are 100% positive that you put your faith in Jesus. Because if you have to stand before a holy God on your own merit and own regard, I'm just going to tell you on the authority of Romans 1 and Romans chapter 2, you already stand condemned. But when you put your faith in Jesus, when you stand before God, you get to utter those words. Why? Why should I let you into my heaven? And what do you say? I trust in Jesus. Your sin no longer condemns you because you've trusted in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Thanks for your word. God, would you take my, my feeble words and use them, God, to cultivate, to mold, and to shape the heart of your church. 
God, we have to understand our sinful state for us to properly understand the gospel solution. God, we're not okay. We're not good people. We're sinners. We need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. I pray that truth, Lord, doesn't simply resonate in our minds, Lord, but it makes its way down to our hearts, and it shapes our theology, Lord, and shapes how we live the rest of this week. People need Jesus. God, I pray as we now sing and, and Father, reflect on this passage of Scripture that our voices are a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven, God, giving you the praise that you and only you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.